0: Let's get started. <laughs> um, so forward-looking statements, I need to make sure we're all squared away there. And today I want to talk about what feels like one of the more most unusual years we've had in a while, which is saying something given that we've had a pandemic, a war, uh, a great financial crisis, and the likes. And I started in the business 42 years ago. Uh, this month, actually. And uh, mm-hmm. this has been uh, really unusual, and I'll give you a couple examples. We have bankers fighting inflation, which isn't unusual, but they're fighting it in two different ways right now. We have parts of the emerging economies fighting uh, uh, by by cutting rates, and you're having the uh, Western Central Bank still thinking about raising them. You have governments fighting each other. Uh, You have employers and employees fighting over wages. You have social unrest in this year, countries like uh, China and Iran, where you wouldn't typically expect to see that kind of uh, uh, civil unrest because it comes with high penalties. Um, So this is really not your typical kind of a a run we've had. Back in November of 2020, we started talking about the six critical transformations that we saw going on, which I've talked about a lot over the years. In a September 4th speech, uh, Christine Lagarde uh, was talking about the, the world as she sees it. She said, we're entering a world of major transitions in the labor markets, energy markets, and geopolitics, all of which can lead to larger and more frequent relative price shocks, which is exactly what we've seen this year but I want to give you a sense of just how different it's it's been um and this is Wall Street's uh strategists and their estimates for the S&P back in July and you can see going back 20 years uh we're at you know real extremes that you only you only see once in a while um and this is just the S&P what's interesting is the difference between managers and strategists is pretty wide and as you can see on the right-hand side Oppenheimer has a target around um, 4,800, BNP Paribas around 3,300, and uh, the rest of the streets in between. And I think the difference between the way money managers look at the world and strategists look at the world is uh, money managers get their portfolios valued daily and strategists get their outlooks uh, valued over a longer term period. PMs also get uh, pressured to chase markets like you're seeing with the things taking off this year. But it it's quite a range that we're looking at here. And it really is uh, one of the more unusual uh, wide bands that I've seen in a long time. So that's, a, that's an element that is very different coming into the year. But I think the real differences come in some of the, what was the consensus views and whether it was recession, whether it was the reopening, whether it was how inflation was gonna behave, interest rates, labor markets, uh, climate transitions all of those were factors that we had to look at. I want to look at some of these individually. so this is uh, from j p. Morgan and Bloomberg the probabilities of a recession in different asset classes as of October last year in the black and August of this year and you can see in each asset class, whether it 's u s equities u s uh high grade credit high yield credit or treasuries. In each case, you've seen significant declines in the expectations for recessions. I'm almost wondering: is the boat getting a little too full one in one direction? But uh the second thing is China reopening was not the same driver of global growth that it has been in the past. And I think this is really one of the one of the more interesting dynamics in the global economy this year of China waking up to the fact that they're in a very different position than. They've been at at almost any point in time in the last 20 years where uh, debt demographics, property issues and the like are all weighing on on the country, as is their relationship with China and with Russia. And you also have the trade issues going back to the Trump administration, all have weighed on China's economy, but it's also hurting the rest of the world, particularly Europe. And now you add to it the Apple ban for government uh, employees, it's going to have uh, companies think, re- doing a rethink about China as a market. And while many cannot afford not to be there, a $500 billion decline in Apple's market cap, cap last week is a powerful message to CEOs and boards about thinking about how they're going to play China going in, uh, in the long run and what does that mean in the near term. On the other side, one of the positives of the China slowdown is that uh, it is exporting deflation to the rest of the world. Um, so it's a negative for China, but a positive for uh, other countries. Inflation remains a big topic. We have uh, CPI coming out tomorrow. Back in June of 22, uh, as Mark's reminded, we have we started reporting on the briefing that we saw uh, signs of inflation starting to ease. And the... Uh, pressure is starting to let up and we thought inflation was going to start to roll over. And as you can see, it did start to roll over then. Uh, but now we see inflation pressures uh, not easing as much and maybe even reaccelerating, particularly on the headline levels. Um, so that's something that we're keeping a close eye on. And it's one of the concerns that we have about how things will shake out as we move forward, particularly as we're starting to see food and energy prices start to reverse and uh Start to start uh, are weighing on uh, a lot of the economy, so I think that's a, a big change. I think the other big change is what's happened with long-term and short-term interest rates, and I think this has been a big topic of discussion. They've both risen a lot. Short-term rates are up in the U.S. five percent last year, uh, but you can see that we've now had long-term rates move up uh, pretty considerably as well. And I think we're going to be uh, short of a major crisis hitting. I think the 10 year is going to be in a range plus or minus around where we are right now, maybe 25 to 40 basis points, even if the Fed starts cutting next year, because I think we would expect over any period of time, the 10 year should be an appropriate level above uh, where the where the uh, risk free rate is going to be. And uh, you have to factor in inflation. So that would suggest that we would be not dropping back down materially from this level going forward. I want to shift gears and go to the consumer because I think we're about to uh, see a shift and the consumer has been a big driver of the, the upside surprise this year. They were more flush, but when asked about uh, when consumption will turn negative, you can see that uh, the shift is happening pretty soon. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that that I want to touch on uh, right now. But we're a six, almost a 70 percent consumer driven economy in the U.S. and a change here is a material change for the global economy. That's why I want to touch on it. There's four sources affecting uh, consumer spending, their incomes, excess savings, inflation, and willingness to lend. I want to take a look at each of them because what we've seen over the last couple of years is actually the distortions that I've talked about on some of these previous calls. And when you look at uh, something like this chart of real disposable income, you saw the spikes up that we've had with government support over the last couple of years, and as that's faded, you started to see the uh, uh real disposable income uh pull back to more historic levels and then it's started to uh pick up again as the economy reaccelerated uh, as inflation was easing starting last June. but now it looks like we're leveling off and even starting to trend down so that's a something to keep an eye on. Not that the U.S. consumer's in a terrible spot, they're not, but the tra- the changes on the margins start to add up and start to have an impact. So you also, at the same time on real disposable incomes have, you know, interest rates are starting to eat into household budgets and they don't do it with uh, a fairness. They do it where the lower income households are uh, feeling the pain much more quickly and You add to that, this is before the student loan freeze uh, ends and what that's going to mean to certain segments of the student loan market and certain households. We had a big boost in excess savings as a result of the pandemic and the stimulus that's come out. But look at how that's reversed itself. And now we're moving still above uh, what has been a historic norm, but certainly coming down pretty fast. And as that excess savings starts to evaporate, people change their behaviors. And then you add to it that we were starting to see inflation uh, pick up again, seeing that of prices at the pump. And as I mentioned, we're worried about food inflation uh, coming back as well. But this actually does change the behaviors of consumers when you see uh, moves like this in the price of the pump. I think for every 10 cents of an increase in uh, the price of the pump in the U.S., it has the impact of about 13 billion on U.S. consumers. Uh, both ways so if it prices go up you lose 13 billion of uh in, of disposable income if it drops you gain 13 billion and as you can see we've had a pretty healthy move up uh since the start of the year so all this stuff is not to say that the consumer is drying up and everything's coming to an end it's just to say that there's a shift underfoot and once that happens you got to keep an eye on it to see how things are evolving there because the US consumer is such a big driver We go to the last part of of the shifts that affect consumer spending, it's their access to credit. And this is an area that you're starting to see um, on installment loans, see a change. But these are uh, levels that reflect their more restrictive economy. And when you have the banking problems that we had earlier this year in the U.S. and in Switzerland, you start to see a change in behavior. And we're still worried about some of the regional banks. So that comes and plays through. So, All I'm saying is not the consumers out of money or coming to an end, but the excesses that were built up over the last couple of years are starting to fade. And as we start to see these prices and these other changes start to come through, you can expect a different environment for the U.S. consumer, which means has big impact for exporting nations and for domestic companies as well. So I think there's a lot of change going on. This has not been what we all anticipated coming into the year. Most people were not projecting uh, the China to reopen the way they did. They certainly were, I think people are surprised about um, the way inflation has come uh, back in although there are worrying signs there. So I think we're moving into a very different period and uh, we have some challenges for the world moving forward Obviously, geopolitics is going to continue to play a big role. And uh, while it's widely believed by the military uh, experts in the U.S. and the West that uh, the war in Ukraine could end much more quickly if the West stepped up its support, I think one of the interesting things is Russia's done a pretty good job of playing the nuclear card to where we haven't really stepped up to give the level of support from the West that Ukraine needs to win right away. So we're prolonging prolonging the war there. And as uh, oil prices remain high and have pushed up with some of the uh, cuts from the Saudis, you're starting to see the war machine can go on longer for Russia because it does help uh, fund the war for them. I think US-China relations are a very big part of the outlook going forward. And as I mentioned, I can't imagine there's CEOs in boardrooms that in strategically vital industries um, are not worried about uh, getting uh, Micron or Apple type treatment. Um, I don't think Starbucks or Nike is particularly concerned about that right now. They're not uh, competing in the areas that um, create big social conflicts or government conflicts, but it is something, I think there's a real interesting shift in the map of the uh, uh, Middle East and the alliances that are being forged there and the growth that's coming out of there is a fascinating area for discussion. So I I think that, and is. uh, uh was mentioned earlier, the uh, rise of the uh, uh, Latin America and the role that the global South is playing is gonna be a big part of the geopolitics moving forward. I think one of the big points of contention at the G20 was uh, economic shocks and how the emerging economies are not getting well supported by some of the existing institutions. And I think that's gonna continue to be a point of contention, but uh, I think the, uh, I think, Countries like India and Brazil and the BRICS and others are in a unique position now to play um, the West against the uh, East and the autocrats and the Democrats against each other. And how that's going to play out, I think that's going to be a big part of um, the alliances that are forged and how uh, the global economy moves forward. Obviously, food scarcity, rising prices and high inflation levels are creating currency issues as well. Um, and that is uh favoring the us at this time but there's always the worry that when the the tilts when things tilt so far to one side that uh the adjustment process that comes after that can be painful i think the other issue that we have to keep it on is the rising debt burdens and you know we hit a record li- level in uh imf lending to for distressed economies last year and i think the needs are growing still and that's going to put greater strains on Uh, The members of the IMF and a lot of those nations, particularly some of the European nations, with the numbers that came out yesterday on outlook for growth and inflation, which were lower growth, higher inflation, puts greater strains on those economies that are already having some economic challenges. And does that bring back the call to be more inwardly focused and more austerity oriented at a time that we probably need uh, to balance the level of spend that's going on? And as we've talked about, the climate transition hasn't been particularly attractive. I thought there was some interesting numbers coming out on asset allocation today. And one of the big changes is the shift from uh, uh, allocations to emerging economies. And I'm not sure if this is a Bank of America survey or not, but I think the um, allocations to emerging markets went from 34% uh, over the last couple of years down to nine. And the U.S. Uh, allocations to the U.S. are on the rise again. So. It just speaks to uh how unusual the environment we are in right now, and uh what a different kind of world we're we're playing in today, so mark I'm going to stop there and uh open it up for discussions
1: you know uh, you're you're like Shakespeare in the Bible, as some people say you you give enough for everything, but we can quote uh so many aspects and so many sides uh. I was listening to Rubenstein. A lot of
0: people offended with that
1: comment, not me, but others. (laughs) But thank you. Well, I find that you know, just this is an interesting. Yeah, just I'm here in Germany, and geopolitics are definitely at the fore. And I was watching Rubenstein was talking about how, with the with the gathering of the of the, plus group, uh, yet despite all that, I didn't. That's a that's a startling statistic. Yeah, uh, you just mentioned can you have the do you have the backup on that you could I, share I have to
0: team. pull it it was from our morning uh meeting notes I have to pull, pull where I saw that But I just so everybody the same,
1: knows statement there statement. are there's a whole team behind Stephen Burke and they meet every morning and they go you know classic round table uh it's, it's actually I I enjoyed I should join those again all right Adam and and then Dave how about it morning, Stephen. Great presentation. Thank you again. Um,
0: one question, the savings rate, um, the American uh, family, how is that, has that, I'm assuming that's been dropping and is that savings rate, I'm sure that savings rate is impact, impacting consumer, you know, it, what they buy. It's very skewed. That's my question. Uh, it's very skewed around uh, the different wealth segments um, yeah. the u s overall has done a pretty good job of uh deleveraging over the last uh fifteen years uh since the great financial crisis but you know incomes have been hard other than the support that they got um the temporary support that they got from uh the government over the last couple of years, and that's now that starts to fade and I think it does change behaviors and I think you're starting to see that you're even seeing some of the Wealthier consumers start to move down, uh, change their buying habits. I don't think the negatives that I talked about, about the shifts in consumers are hitting right now. But I think they're going to hit. They're going to go along and all of a sudden they're going to hit pretty quickly because that's the way inflation usually works. It's like getting hit in the head with a shovel. You know, you're walking along and all of a sudden, bang. I think that's the way it's going to feel for uh, some businesses and certainly for some households. And just as a Thank side you, note, Adam uh, has been doing a uh, uh, a write-up on a uh, newsletter on uh Russian Russian politics and uh, uh, really great work. So if you haven't, uh, reach out to Adam and uh, take a look at that. It's a great insight into uh, what's going on in Russia these days, which is a hot topic. Thank did you, you did? for that plug, Shakespeare. Uh, no problem. <laughs> Shakespeare's um, the one who's offended, by the way, spinning in his grave right
2: now. Actually, my my question was on the same topic, and and thank you again. I was actually looking at the the Fed, uh, personal savings rate has been around you know two to three percent over the last eighteen months, which is the lowest it's been since the oh five to oh seven time frame. Um, really, how do you wrap your head around a positive personal savings rate? And then this significant decrease in excess savings that you see, like, how do you, how should we think about those two figures looked at side by side? If if we're going very quickly through excess savings, but as a whole have a positive savings rate, how are those two things possible at the same time?
0: Significant inequality this is really it. You have very different uh, dynamics in- Households and uh so you could see wealth rising incomes rising for the wealthiest, but the savings rates getting evaporated for the uh yeah. middle class and uh bottom part of the economy, so I think you have a very have and have nots world that um for those who've been on for most of these, which I appreciate the the diehards who keep coming back um we've talked about three inequalities uh. Country inequality, which you're starting to see play out more, and that's with the lending that we talked about with the IMF. Company inequality, which you're seeing play out in the markets every day, the the haves and have-nots there. And then you have income inequality, which is still a problem. And uh, I think that's how you get the divergences between the two numbers. Excess savings goes very quickly for the people who don't have much savings to begin with. And they got hit with big uh, checks coming through over the last couple of years. Um, But then you add to it, they also got the boost from uh, not having to make student loan payments and all that. And all of a sudden you start to see the excess savings start to go. So um, this is a really complicated area and can change a lot. But I think the inflation element of it is the, the other impact of when inflation kicks in the way it had, you start to see excess savings get eaten up on buying the same things every day that you were buying before. So I
1: think it's that combination Thank you. You're welcome. So chip, chip So? hey it's Stephen uh, just a quick question I know I know
0: there's been a uptick in IPO activity this this past week um, and there's hopes that you know the Fed will will keep rates uh, in, in the in the coming weeks. Um, I'm just curious to to hear your thoughts on on how some of these IPOs will play out and the pipeline for IPOs going forward thanks, yeah there's probably anyone on the call more capable of answering that question than I, but the one thing on the i p o is thank you softbank um they are they're stimulating some of this uh for the rest of the world um mm-hmm. uh I think that's an element of it. I think there's gonna be uh a need to figure out how to um ship some of the existing portfolios that are out there today uh and move them off of uh from private to public, if they can be done, so I think you'll see a, an increase in activity there because I I think rates are going to change, are changing the the playing field for everybody, and uh, I think the move up in rates has people thinking about their end games faster than they had to before, and that's going to be problematic for several companies. So,
1: so Jeff, to your point, <clears throat> how many people here know of a company that is in a pre-IPO? Um, let's say track. Like I, I know, I know three right now. Sure. How many do you know, Jeff?
0: Well, we have one of our portfolio companies coming out this week, actually, um, and
3: have another four, I'd say in the pipe.
1: Okay. Anyone else? Dave, how, how many do you have?
2: I mean, we're, we're working with four or five companies right now that would consider that. I mean, I, you know, interestingly, I think it's the it's the least favorable outcome. Look, you know, I think that you have a lot of firms that are holding uh, you know, equity securities in private businesses and they'd rather do anything possible than get themselves stuck in an illiquid public security. But you know, just given the markets, it it's becoming, you know, the kind of the, the path of least resistance. And so I think people are just saying, okay, maybe we actually have to go this way. Fair enough.
0: I would just add, Mark, I think if if people really thought rates were going to come down a lot soon, you'd have less IPO activity, but I don't think they think that. I think the market's getting used to higher for longer, and I think that is pushing people out because they have to think about um, if you're going to the IPO market these days, you really need to come with earnings or uh, certainly real revenues, yeah. um, and this is a, going to be a different IPO market than I yeah, think you yeah, this- yeah.
1: While too, Fair, true. Anyone? Anyone else? No, of pre-IPO companies. Nobody. Jack Wyant, weren't you involved with a with an IPO? Jack, you unmuted yourself for half a second. Was that a an attempt to answer the question, or are you?
0: Oh, yeah. I just, I just, I just attempted again. Um, Yes, but but I didn't reply because the, there's a level of uncertainty. So two companies are debating whether whether to go that route or not.
1: Okay, I'll I'll, I'll, let, I'll leave you off the hook then. All right, I'll shift off this. And Jim had his hand up.
3: Thanks, Mark. Uh, Stephen, thanks as always. Uh, great to see you here. You know one of the the underlying factors the unsung factors i think uh both on a uh consumer level and in a corporate level is insurance mm-hmm. um and it's kind of well known right now that there's a a rapidly hardening insurance market um do you guys look at that uh as an impact on you know a- any of the elements that you uh that you pre- presented on
0: well we're looking at insurance more from uh climate and what that's changed how that's changing affordability and and all that so it is a real issue and um so we we look at it really from a climate perspective as much um and then what it means for households so uh i think there i think the rising insurance costs are another factor that's going to cut into discretionary income um and you're seeing it virtually everywhere you know the renewal rates are coming in pretty high for people. And if if you had an accident in the last year or so, um, as I did, uh, the insurance uh, resets are not very friendly. So I, I think there is uh, going to be more inflation and less coverage uh, offered, higher pricing for insurance and less coverage. And that's going to be a problem.
3: Yeah, so I think the industry uh, in transition. The, uh, the just the climate disasters just domestically recently will will point to uh, a shifting insurance market
1: yep
3: yeah thanks any other
1: comments questions tough questions for Burke. put them on the spot What should
0: we be asking you, Stephen? uh, I don't know, but there's an interesting topic that I did say a number today that was pretty surprising and that um, I think China has an excess inventory of autos that is approaching 20 to 25 million cars. Yep. And I I think that could be a real problem for Japan and Germany and maybe the US automakers as well um so i now, think are they, there's are they going, are they
1: exporting those are they trying to look, offload them
0: well i think that's the i think when you can't move them in your own com- country <laughs> that's
1: the next option so we got so, two, two 25 percenters they so got a 25 percent unemployment rate for youth and 25 million not centers 25 million cars i
0: okay. think that's the number i'll check on that but it's
1: a it's a number
0: that was pretty startling to me that um and and the article that i just glanced at it this morning i uh I stayed up too late to watch a New York football team last night and then I couldn't get to sleep after that because of 9-11 <laughs> actually. So oh, I yeah. don't, don't know how the two related, but um, cool. so I, I don't really remember which article yeah. I saw that in. So I'll have to look for that one and get it to you.
3: Okay. fair enough. Paul? Yep, hey, Steven. Uh, hey, one quick question. You mentioned the student loan repayment. Have, has <laughs> your team- That's your you favorite subject, that? Paul. Yeah. Well, have you guys looked at the SAVE program, which the Biden administration has kind of proposed through the Department of Education? It's almost like a modification or a, uh, in, a, a you know, a modified income repayment program. And also, I guess the second thing is they've, uh, they've told the servicers that they are not to report any delinquencies for 12 months mm. uh, so that – you will, even though if you don't make a payment and you don't have the save program, you will not have your FICO reported. And I think there's going to be a way that uh, lenders will actually see that you're delinquent, but uh, that, but you're not, but it's not going to affect your FICO. So I just wanted to see, if have you guys looked at that and kind of maybe throwing that into your numbers of how much repayment's going to start?
0: We we haven't. We're, we're not factoring in student loans in a material way for the change in the in the short term. Um, and it, the 12 uh, month window would seem to coincide with an election cycle. So I'm not sure that there's any politics involved in that, um, but there could be. So I would expect that this is going to be this is part of the fight between uh, the Biden administration and the Republican Party is to. um how do you how do you play this one? Because it's been a, it's been all politics around this uh, now, and you could argue this student loan forgiveness is a right thing because of so many people are you know were put out in a, in a bad spot. But a lot of the student loans that are coming back are people who went to graduate school and stuff, so it's not exactly like we're you know you're you're taking money out of the poor. Although they might be poor after going to go into graduate school and then if they got laid off. But I think the issue is really uh, it's a political one more than anything else right now. And until they get the real rules of the road, it's hard to project what it's going to be. And I think the Biden administration is going to continue to do whatever they can to delay the uh, actions coming through that the, that voters would feel any pain for loans. It would go. Yeah, to I mean, I think... There's an income-based.
3: There's, there's always been an income-based repayment program, but I think it's been hard to qualify. So, you know, I think that'll go through. It's just a matter of, you know, how much easier is it to qualify. But it, I guess it's always been there for at least the last ten years. Yeah,
0: yeah I think this. I think this area is is um, is going to be continue to be very political for the next period of time. That's really what this is about right now. And mm-hmm, we've, uh, we've given we've given so much right, that we've given trillions of dollars to people and they needed it. So I'm not saying it was a, always a bad thing to do, but we've given a lot out and, yeah you know, we can't keep that going. We just don't have the deficits doubled. Right. So you're two trillion dollars deficit now. That's a that's a big nut. So yeah, I think that we're going to have to get our act together sooner or later.
1: Thanks.
3: Welcome.